Baptist faith message says about church, uh, as we are a, a Baptist church, and that we were just going to go through these verses one at a time. That way, we'll just study what we believe uh, as a whole, uh, not skipping any. That way, we could uh, just wade through all of it, right? Uh, and so that's where we're at. Uh, last Wednesday night, which apparently went over extremely well, uh, since half of them stayed home this week, uh, we talked about uh, the qualifications for a pastor, qualifications for an elder. And uh, I had someone approach me, not from here, but that had uh, stumbled across it on accident probably. And uh, so that was just not very exciting. You know, that's just uh, that's kind of... Uh, kind of dry, and uh, I said, well, the reason it is, is the reason our churches are in such bad shape. Uh, It's something that we don't want to talk about, it's something that we don't want to address, and because of that, we have unhealthy churches that have unhealthy pastors, and um, the cycle continues. And so, uh, but as we went through 1 Timothy chapter 3 and looked at the qualification for pastors, last week, tonight, we are on... Uh, deacons. And so, while I thought I was uncomfortable last week talking about the qualifications of pastors, since I am one, I am much more nervous tonight talking about deacons. You say, Jake, why would that be? Every bad Baptist story starts with a pastor and a deacon, right? And uh, it gets sideways. But, uh, huh? Or their children, right? So, um, so tonight we're just going to just walk right through this. We're going to talk a little bit about what should a deacon be doing, uh, what the qualifications of a deacon are, uh, some of the confusion over this passage of Scripture. But if we're really going to have a church that God can bless, we have to study these things. We have to make sure that the church is where God wants it to be. And so we're just going to read there, starting in verse 8 of First Timothy chapter 3. But before we do, I want you to flip down there to verse 14 because the significance of these verses are stated. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And so if the church is the pillar of truth, if it is set up the way God wants it to be set up, and He literally says, these are the qualifications, these are the instructions, if that gets out of whack, we should not be surprised that things are out of order. And so I hope that you'll see the seriousness of it, and yet also not become judgmental. I don't know if you know this or not, but I have found that uh, when you go through passages of Scripture like this, you begin to think, well, so-and-so doesn't live up to this, or so-and-so doesn't meet this standard, or, or this doesn't happen, or that doesn't happen. And so while we do hold each other accountable, we have to be very careful that we don't slip in to a very judgmental uh, attitude of the Pharisees in viewing other people. And so starting in verse 8, of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things, Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so if you would, pray with me, and we'll just jump right in. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us uh, to be the church Uh, alone or without guidance. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand firm uh, on your word. And Lord, while culture has changed, while uh, people have changed, God, while standards have shifted, 
um, in our minds and in our lives, God, that your word is settled. And so, Father, help us to stand upon your word, to declare your word, regardless of the cost, regardless of what the world says, Lord, knowing that you can bless your church and that you will bless your word. And so, Father, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, as we begin tonight, I'll just tell you a little bit about our church. Uh, Our church right now, we have uh, 20 uh, deacons, uh, 20 deacons' wives. Um, Those are made up of people of different age groups. Uh, We have some uh, young uh, young deacons. We have some older deacons. We have uh, deacons who have been here in this church for decades. Uh, We have some that have not been here uh, for decades. And so there is a, a big variety. You have some on here that are professionals. You have some that are retired. You have some that uh, are really from all walks of life. And the reason that is, is because when I say deacon, if you've been in church any length of time, what is something that comes to your mind, positive or negative? I thought Mark was standing up. He's like, I got something to say. <laughs> Woo! I was like, that's passion right there. <laughs> hmm? Yes, I believe a deacon can fill in for the pastor. Yes. Not that I have good luck getting them to fill in for me on Wednesday nights, but I try. Positive, negatives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The qualifications are very clear. I would say all of us that have been in church in some length of time have seen men that we thought did a wonderful job that uh, fulfilled these requirements and served their local church well. I think we would honestly all say that we've probably been in church long enough to see some that uh, it didn't go very well. Uh, we could probably think into our lives and see churches that have been very strong because of there was a very strong, godly group of men. And I would say we've also seen churches that have been torn apart because there was a wicked group of men. And I wonder sometimes about this passage of Scripture. And if you read commentaries, they say that they're the the second office or the lesser. And I don't like that. Uh, I think that both are absolutely vital. I think that churches can get in great trouble with deacons more than they can pastors because pastors can be sent down the road pretty easy. Literally, three people on the personnel committee, 51%. uh, It's a pretty simple process. Pastors come and go. But deacons seem to come and stay. And that is a wonderful thing. They can be pillars of the church. They can be the backbone members who wade through the good times and the bad and, and don't shake and don't move. They, they, they're there, right? And you know that even though uh, pastors come and go, and so if you think about this, uh, I have been here now 11 years almost. Uh, uh, my predecessor, Brother John, was here for 10 years. Uh, the gentleman in between him and uh, before him was here about four or five months. Um, Mark Lee was here for about seven years. Uh, Denny Steed was here for uh, nine years, nine and a half, ten. Um, and then before that, it was about every three years, three years, three years. Um, but yet, even if you were to look back, um, Gary, when did you become a deacon? Okay. Dave, do you... Long time before. Dave, when did you become a deacon? Same day Gary did. Same day Gary did. Okay. None of them can remember. Gary, do you remember when you became a deacon? Maybe 2002 or something like that. Okay. So I was in high school when these guys became deacons. All right. Bill, when did you become a deacon? 1981. 1981. Uh, if, uh, Jill, when did Randy and Donnie and them, were they all the same time? The early 80s. Early 80s? I wasn't even born in the early 80s, all right? Uh, 85 is when I was born. Um, and so I, I want you to hear that because through the ups and down, through the changes, uh, pastors come, they have this different visions, they have different ideas, and it is so important that there is a group of people who are here who can really weather the storms, 
who can be there in the good and in the bad. And I believe that's what deacons can be. Now we've all been in church long enough to see some that probably weren't as involved as they should be and some who were too involved. And so really we have to just be very careful as a church that we always recognize, though, what the office of a deacon is. What are they called to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. But you very seldom see people or hear people saying they are very good servants of the church. Or, or I'm, all I'm saying is the negative that's out there is said more so than the positives. Yeah, I would say that is very true. So, if you were to look at the New Testament, uh, the word is literally translated serve. They are to be servants and you can actually take it back even farther and it means through the dirt to serve in the most um, difficult situations the most simple of situations uh, we see that the word deacon is used in the book of acts there is disagreement over Acts 6, whether these were the first deacons in the sense of the book of timothy or it was a special group because of their preaching ministry uh, the men were given the gifts of, of serving. Uh, the, them were given the gift of preaching, of ministering. But if you remember why it came about in Acts chapter 6, the physical needs of the widows were not being met. And because they were not being wet, there were elderly widows who could not take care of themselves. And there was someone that needed to be involved in making sure they had what they needed. A situation like that took place today in our church. Uh, there was a lady in our church today who was celebrating a birthday. Uh, she's in her 80s. Uh, she's had lots of physical problems. She's had uh, just a lot of discouragement. She's a widow. And even though her uh, she has children and they are involved in her life, uh, Selena's like, I think we ought to send her a thing of flowers just to encourage her. Uh, and I was in my bib overalls today. I was working in the church yard, and, and I was like, well, this is the perfect day for me to take flowers, right? Uh, the pastor of 10 miles showing up in your front door with a hat on and your bib overalls. And, uh, and anyway, I took those today, and uh, you cannot imagine how encouraged she was. And I think sometimes we forget how discouraged people can get, especially widows, especially those who are struggling through the different phases of life. And so I see that today, and I see that there is a great need to minister to people in the physical sense, because that wasn't a, uh, necessarily a, a big thing. It was going to the flower shop, it was getting some flowers, and it was dropping them off. And I'm not claiming it was my idea because it was not, all right? I was tired and I was grouchy because I was pulling weeds in the flower bed, all right? I was not in a good mood. And Selena's like, oh, I think it'd be a wonderful life. I'm like, come on, really? And it was. And so even though sometimes we think that church is different, that it has taken on a new purpose and mission, it hasn't. And we should still be about doing the things. But technically, the responsibilities of deacon are not listed. There's not a list of must do this, must not do that. But I believe that when service is going on, when there are jobs to be done, that these men and their wives, and we'll talk about that whole dynamic, should be at the forefront. They should be leading by example. And I believe it is the church's responsibility, you, to hold them accountable. Now you say, no, Jake, that's your job to hold accountable. No, no pastor ever got anywhere by telling deacons what to do. It's just the way it is. They serve the Lord and they serve you. They are the servants of the church. And so as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we read in um, uh, different places where the Bible talks about servants, that they are to be that. You say, well, Jake, can a deacon be a deacon and not serve? No. That's like saying you can be fat and skinny at the same time. Hot and cold. It just doesn't work. It is a term that goes together. It literally is an office, but it is also a lifestyle. The lifestyle 
of service. And so questions. Uh, in what sense? Well, I think that um, if you look at qualifications or in sense of their calling of what they were to do. Well, it said, it said choose you out these men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and that would be in uh, Acts chapter 6. And you can flip over there. We'll just read it. Uh, starts right there in verse 3. Uh, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So I think full of the Holy Spirit is absolutely uh, still, uh, absolutely, it still should be evaluated as a vital qualification. I think there that uh, you see the good reputation. I think you see wisdom. I think all of that still applies in verses 8 through uh, 13. I feel like these were, in Acts chapter 6, were the beginning, right? The basic. These three focus on, and then when Paul explains in the book of Timothy, he then gives us a more clear understanding. For instance, just like he does in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit, uh, how He is at work and moving, and then throughout the rest of the New Testament, Paul explains, right, uh, in 1 Corinthians about, you know what, this is not the Holy Spirit, uh, this is the flesh, this is what the Spirit looks like, this is how He is working and moving. And so I think we see a clarification here of what should be applied in Acts chapter 6. Yes? <laughs> well, I think that um, I think one that when God calls a person to to do something, He does call them for life. But I also think that a person can disqualify themselves by the life that they live. So we don't do that here. It is a once-for-all kind of deal. I personally believe, this is what I, we don't do it, and I'm not saying we have to do it. This is what I think. I think every 10 years, a pastor or a deacon ought to be reevaluated. Is their church attendance like it was? Uh, are they giving like they were? Are there, is their family still in order? We don't do that, and I'm not saying it's coming up at the next business meeting, but I think just you appoint someone and then you say, they're good forever. I, I don't think that's... I don't think that's good either. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you have to be very careful because I think a deacon and a pastor can get sideways and it not be the deacon. And so if you rotate them off, I would hate to see someone who is doing God's will and yet the pastor gets them off there and says, well, we're not going to... You know, I think that could be very dangerous too. So, But I think, I think evaluation should happen. I... I don't think we do in Baptist churches because we're terrified of offending somebody. I think if a deacon needs to step down for a season uh, because of something going on in their life, I respect that. Um, I think that if a deacon is, is exhausted or they need a break, I have no problem with that as, as well. Uh, we don't technically have any inactive deacons. Um, uh, we have in the past had men that have gotten older, and uh, sometimes you make them honorary deacons because they have served. Uh, in their life, and um, but I don't think there's a necessarily a right way or a wrong way scripturally, other than all of us should be held accountable, um, and we just don't do a very good job of that. Not always where we live. Sometimes it's based on their relationship with you. So if they know you, uh, if you're in the same Sunday school class. Um, a lot of different things. If they feel like they could be uh, build a relationship with you, then then every family is assigned one. Yes. So who's responsible if you never see that deacon at anything extra, <laughs> every Sunday at church and Yeah. So once again, there would be the question of when you make rules, who's going to enforce them? And what I can tell you is everybody's mindset is if there's a problem, Jake, you ought to fix it. Um, Gary has been the chairman of deacons uh, in the past with me, and um, 
And there have been times we have tried to talk about things, even with Sunday school teachers. Um, the problem is uh, you have a biblical step, right? One to one. That's how it's supposed to go. So if I don't ever see my deacon, I ought to go to him and say, hey, everything okay? I can promise you that you ought to pray for that situation and for the courage to know that it might not go well. Uh, then the Bible says we're to take two or three, and that is to be our situation. And the third step, which has never happened, all right, in my time at 10 Mile, it probably hasn't happened since the 40s, all right, is that that member would be brought before the whole congregation and that would be addressed. We have never gotten there. I know Gary and I, we have actually went and did some of those, uh, when he was a chairman of deacons, just dip, 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 uh, visiting, uh, see how uncomfortable it makes a guy. Uh, Stutter and Stanley. But you're right. It is, it is a challenge. Who is that responsibility? Is it mine? Is it the other deacons? Is it the congregation? Uh, deacons, why don't you chime in here? There's some of you in here tonight. I think it's the entire congregation. Yeah. Deacons, deacons for sure. To me, if you're a Christian, you're a minister. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest struggle is that we can all be like David, right? With Bathsheba, well, it's not me, right? I, it's not my story. It's not, you know. And so I think the Bible says, though, that, <laughs> that we should rejoice when we go to a brother and they repent in return, right? Uh, we, that should be our desire. And so sometimes I think our desires are not good. I think sometimes we, we get hurt and we get bitter and... Or we get angry, and sometimes we do church that way. But also, I think that if our heart's in the right place, then we absolutely should be about uh, doing this. Um, I think a lot of times churches have made men deacons that shouldn't have been made in the first place. Uh, they were wealthy, they were influential, they, they whatever. Uh, as I met with someone the other day, he said, check all the boxes, right? So giving, boom, that's a big one, right? Uh, if they've got talents, boom, that's a big one. But yet, when I read this... Uh, how much you give or your talents are not even on the list. So I think sometimes that happens. Uh, sometimes I think, uh, like everything, uh, our personnel committee and I met not too long ago, and we were talking about hiring and have we hired good people, have we not hired good people, and you know how have they worked out and all those things. And you, you win some and lose some. And so I think that even though we have the Spirit of God in us, that... Um, I think we can still make mistakes. I think we can still do things that we shouldn't do. I think we can grieve the spirit. And I think sometimes that, that's where we find ourselves. But as of our church, we do not have a policy to evaluate deacons, to rotate them out, other than just Matthew 18. Does that answer the question at all? Other questions? Yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with what other churches do with deacons. I think our policy is good that you, each member has a deacon assigned to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well they all perform that duty. Are you asking me my evaluation of them or no? Uh, I would say some do a very good job and some struggle. Some work. They're gone a lot. Some uh, are like me. they got little kids and they're at ball games. And so I think it is, uh, I think we have to be very careful that like so, for instance, uh, Gary Brzezinski is retired and he has a lot more families than most deacon uh, because he's at a stage at life, no offense, not calling you old, <laughs> that he can spend more time with his people while Gary leaves on Sunday night and doesn't get home till. 
Friday morning, Saturday, you know, Thursday night. So they're just at different, uh, I think they're at different stages. So to give him 17 families would be very foolish, or he's got 37 or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. A bunch. They've done this a long time here. Yeah. Well, some folks are not because we struggle to find a connection. So we actually have 10 or 12 people. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not okay. Here, here is this family, this family, this family, and this one's yours, and this right. one's Gary's, and this one's David's. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And it's not also only members. It's not. Yeah. People have been coming to our church quite a while regularly. Mm-hmm. They also get a deacon. Yeah. Yeah, so we meet every month, the last Sunday night of every month, and uh, we have a list of people that have started coming, who are, and we go around the room saying, does anybody feel like this could be the person that they would like to take? Do they know them? And that is how we, we do that. It's not Jake says, well, I think uh, Kevin would be good with this person, or, or you know, it's not, it is a, a pray about it, what do you think? And we try to do it that way. Yeah, quite a few are starting to. Yes. I think a lot of churches tried it and it didn't go very well sometimes. And so then they kind of went away from it. Uh, some churches still do it like we do. So, but it's really, it's to take the load off the pastor because while I would love to be at every hospital visit, every surgery, every birthday party, it's just not a feasible <laughs> at a church this size. While I still do go to quite a few birthday parties, because uh, I like to eat, um, but uh, uh, I was at the, I was at one Saturday night. Um, but it's just it's not physically possible anymore. Well, it's a good outreach, I think. It's something that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can see there doesn't be a problem if somebody starts coming. Yeah. So some churches some churches actually have their deacons fill out a report. So I checked on this family, on this family. I haven't checked on this family. I haven't seen him at church. We don't do that. Is that something I think we should do? Once again, I think we should, but we don't. Um, but I think that would be very important because there isn't any accountability. I don't know if you've been checked on or haven't been checked on. Uh, you know, I saw a lady this week uptown, and I had said, hey, we sure have missed seeing you. Uh, I know that you were doing some other stuff on Sundays. And she goes, well, that's been over for a while but I've been going to church with someone I work with that's a good friend of mine. And I was like, I didn't know, and none of us knew. So and that would be a case where it fell through the cracks, that they weren't being checked on, they weren't being taken care of, and so uh, it doesn't always work perfect, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is generational. Because I feel like some of that has changed more. Mm-hmm. Of like, I mean, yes, there's those in my Sunday school class that I am close with that mm-hmm. reach out to us, but I don't necessarily know that that's the pastor deacon job all the time. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's us as Christians, a relationship, not an authority. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's not supposed to be necessarily authority. I think it's supposed to be uh, an example of service. And how do people not fall through the cracks? Because that's what you hear all the time, right? I stopped going to church. No one ever checked on me. No one ever called. No one ever visited. Or I was in the hospital. And I do think it is generational. But I also think it is because a lot of times I think we're becoming decentralized from the church. That our faith is ours. And that is true. But yet we don't see the need for church in the same sense as 
for instance, the generation of my grandparents did, right? They were here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, all the time. And I think that has changed as well. And so I think you see that relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, if you see somebody that doesn't do that, it's like, well, I can't, I can't live by that list. They can't live by that list. You know, to yeah. me, to me, and you know, and scripturally, that list is it's an example of what Christ has done for you, not mm-hmm. a checklist. Does he do this, this, and you know, it should be the the product of your relationship mm-hmm. with Christ, not necessarily. Well, I think it's I think it's both. I think it, it has to be naturally an overflow. But I think Paul also gave it to us not because we're never going to to not be temperate, but our lifestyle pattern should definitely fit these. And I think that if if we can try to live these ways and hold each other accountable, then hopefully we don't see the hypocrisy that we've seen. Uh, I think a lot of times that these have become so negative is because we act like they don't exist in the sense of. I'll act like it at church, but I won't act like it at home. So, for instance, double tongue. Well, I mean, all of us can be put in situations where we backtrack, right? Well, I, you know, I, I really don't mind to teach you from the pulpit, but if I get across from you, you know, maybe I don't want to be that bold. And I think that we have to be honest about our failures and struggles. And I think that's probably where I have seen the biggest concern is that you had guys that wanted the office of deacon and deacon's wives, and they wanted to live that way at church. But then their lives at home were totally different. And so I don't think Paul ever intended for it to be that, where it's, I want the title, but yet I don't want the lifestyle. But I think that it absolutely uh, is something that we should strive for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, as far as that, what, what your point, though, about visiting somebody in the hospital or whatever, I mean, even for a, a deacon, and I've, I've been a deacon quite a while, and I'd be the person to tell you probably not a very good one, but but there are people in my Sunday school class that, that I am their deacon, that I have a close relationship that would say, I'm a great deacon, but then I've got others that are that are not, and I'm not as close to, and they'd probably say, well, he's not very good, I don't see him very often, you know, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, for, for us, just like you, it's about the relationship, you know. I mean, it's great to have everybody on a list, but, but my list ain't much good if I don't have a connection with you. Certainly, you wouldn't want me to come to see you in the hospital, and I, I wouldn't yeah. get that. And, but, but there are people that would say, yeah, come bring with me, come, you know. And, and so it, it's really all about a relationship, however you divide mm-hmm. it up or slice it up or whatever you want to do. Absolutely. If the relationship's not there, then the deacon's not even capable of doing that job that that they would want to do. Yeah. And for some of us, it's harder to build those relationships than it is for others as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and relationships are hard to build in a church this size if they're not done intentionally. And that's always the goal is to is to have those assignments based on relationships so that it is something that can flourish and grow. I think it's. I think it is. I think it is some, and it isn't some. I think that while technology has replaced uh, a lot of things, I think that most people would still have a few. The circle has uh, shrank. Um, one, I think, it's because a lot of us younger folks haven't been through as much yet. Um, so, for instance, um, uh, is my mom here tonight? No. Okay. So. <laughs> Well, it's just kind of a a sensitive subject, and it's not a bad one. So, as you know, I lost a sibling in a car accident. 
and uh, that is a group of parents that are in a group all themselves. Uh, and I can tell you that every person that went through that line, my parents can remember. And any time someone loses a child in a car accident or in a tragedy, even if they are not close necessarily, my parents always try to go. And they go because they recognize that all those people walking through the line saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, I hate that you're going through, have no idea what it's like to bury a child. But if you know someone that has buried a child or went through that, there is something about that. And it's kind of like, I've never been through cancer, so I don't know what cancer treatments are like. I don't know what that burden is like. I've sat through a lot of people having it, but there's something about that cancer walk, right? And so I think a lot of that changes as we get older. I think a lot of that will evolve. Um, for instance, I was at St. Louis uh, a few weeks ago, well, maybe a couple months ago, uh, when Greg Voppel was um, uh, about to pass away. Uh, Greg and TJ did not go to church here. Uh, Jared did. Um, but Peggy, T Greg's mother, comes here some. And like you said, generationally, uh, when it all fell apart, she called, they called and said she wants her pastor here. And so I drove over there and sat with him. And, uh, and, and that was a wonderful, wonderful time for us to be together. It was a terrible time. Please don't think that. But for her and that generation, that's what she wanted. Um, I try to pray for each and every one of you every night. Uh, and uh, it helps me when I get to be around you to know how to pray for you. Uh, not always, because some people are very guarded and, and don't share a lot. But uh, that's one way it does. Uh, I get the opportunity. Um, but when I was in the hospital, I didn't tell anybody. So I completely understand. But the nature of my hospital stay was probably why I didn't want you to know. It was extremely awkward for everybody. So I'm not going into that, that's for sure. Well, I think we're seeing that with the uh, child abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, how much was been hidden, right? Well, we knew that this person was abusing a child, but we didn't say anything because we didn't want our church to look bad, and we wrote them a good recommendation. They went to another church, and they abused someone in that church, and then the cycle has continued. So I think we've seen that. I also think, though, in our generation, we have seen that in the generations before, but I think that what you're talking about is exactly right. But I think sometimes we can take that so far that we do talk about our sin, but we're okay with it. So there is that healthy balance like you're talking about that we can't come to church and act perfect. We, we can't. We get on the flip side of that. We have to know that God does want us to pursue a life of holiness, right? As we stumble, as we fall, that honesty, repentance, brokenness, 
accountability is vital uh, in our walk with the Lord, and especially in leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the whole key. I think that's where we have failed at church past. We have not held each other accountable because we didn't want anybody pointing the finger at us. Mm-hmm. Know, we, we did not live that life that was above reproach, you know, where, where this uh, scripture you're talking about, the pastor should be above reproach, mm-hmm. uh, and other things for that matter. We should all try to strive to live that motto, but we don't. And we don't want anybody calling us on our mistakes, so we don't call anybody on theirs. Right. You know, and that's the big mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, my pet peeve in churches is when you find out somebody's ticked off at you from somebody else. That is a definite number. I don't guess I've ever seen that in church. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know, I know. Scripture says if you got off with a brother, go tell the brother. I know. Go tell the neighbor. I, absolutely. I have a cousin who is a church plant coordinator for all of St. Louis. His name is Noah Oldham. And uh, we talked one time about the difficulties of church in a small community compared to the big community. So you have lots of challenges with all the craziness that goes to St. Louis. But he says one of the advantages is in St. Louis, if someone gets unhappy in church and goes to church somewhere else, you don't have to see them. Right? You don't have to talk to them. I mean, literally, you don't live in the same area. Your kids aren't on the same team. It's like they don't exist. Here, that is not the case. Your team kids are on the same ball team. You, you serve on the same boards. You, 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 you go on vacations. And so I think that that desire not to have hard conversations is because it bleeds into everything. And... For instance, someone leaves mad or someone is mad, like you said. If it stayed between those two people, it'd be wonderful. But it doesn't. That's why when someone is angry and leaves church, if you watch, just watch, and their circle will begin to go with them. Now, that's not popular and that might hit a nerve, but I'm just telling you the truth. Why? Because they all whisper. They all talk. And we're all that way. That's why we circle the wagon when we're going through difficult times, right? The people closest to us, circle the wagon. And so I just want you to see that, that that's why I think it's so hard. Because then you throw in family connections and you throw in all of these things. And as my dad always says, not in a spiritual sense, Jake, you'll never have problems with deacons. But you'll have a lot of problems with their wives. Because no man will sleep next to an angry wife. And so push comes to shove... They're siding with their wife over their pastor. I'm not saying that's true or not true, but that was some non-spiritual advice from him. And what I can say is, a married man, you can be right or you can be happy. And that's a joke. Not a joke. And so I think some of that is absolutely true. It's just the inner twine that our families are, our friends are, and I think over years we've seen it so hap- so often where people choose family or they choose relationships over what's right. And I think it has put us in a position of fear where, you know, uh, we just don't. And so I can tell you uh, over the last uh, two and a half years we have been blessed to see dozens of families come. We have seen do- two dozen families leave. And um, some people came for the right reasons. 
Some people left for the right reasons. Some people came for the wrong reasons. Some people left for the wrong reasons. Some people came here the right way. Some people didn't come the right way. Some people, you know, and so we just have to do our very best to extend grace to people, uh, to extend mercy, and to remember that God fights our battles for us. And that is the lesson I think God has taught me the most as we close, is it is not my job to run around and defend this church, to defend my reputation, to share everything about someone else. I just have to trust the Lord. And if I'm walking through Fred's and someone won't speak, which we won't have a Fred's anymore, but it used to happen a lot at Fred's. I literally stopped going to Fred's because every time I went to Fred's, somebody would come down an aisle, I'd be coming down an aisle, and they'd back up. And they'd turn. It happened at Dollar General numerous times now. And I don't, it doesn't bother me at all until my kids are with me. And my kids would be like, hey, we know them. They used to go to church with us. Hey! And they just back up. And my kids have no idea or understand. That makes me want to slap a person. I'm just going to be honest with you. But there are people that if I don't have to talk to, I would be more than happy not to. I'll be honest with you. I'm that way. I'm not going to cross the street a block up to avoid you. I spent some time last night at a football game talking to a family that used to go to church here. We had a wonderful visit. We talked about their new church. We talked about how God was using them. And I was so thankful. I said, I'm glad that you're going. I'm sorry that it didn't work out. Um, and, but I just pray God's blessing on you. And I just pray that he'll take care of you. You know, and other families, I couldn't have that conversation. It's still too raw. It's still too painful. And so I think we just have to be humble and honest and admit when we make mistakes. Our church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. It's just the way it is. Um, and church is messy. Let's just be honest. Church done God's way is messy. Because most churches get a group of people that can stand each other. Or they're all related. And they congregate as a group. And that group stays together throughout the years. No new people. People some die. People have some new kids. And the church stays about the same. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm having kids about as fast as you can have them. And this whole church ain't my family. All right? Literally, it is the first time I have ever been in church. While there is family, you can't point to one family that says they can vote everybody else out. Or their family tree doesn't look like a light pole, all right? <laughs> it, it, literally, it's the first... You, it's going to sink in in a minute. Uh, <laughs> but literally, yeah, well, we're distant cousins. Or, you know, we have fathers and daughters and children and grand... But, it doesn't intertwine with everything. So it makes church easier in some sense, but it also makes it harder because God's constantly sending new people with different beliefs and different backgrounds and different feelings and different emotions. And, and it's, it's just a challenging mess. And that's okay because that's how the early church was. Literally, they begin to fight because they could not agree on how the widows were being taken care of. Right? We don't feel like ours are being taken care of as good as you are yours. How do we handle that? And that's all we can do as a church. When a problem arises, what is God's way to handle it? And so we do.